0: We are very glad to have you all here today. Uh, I am John. Pastor Mike is out of town this weekend. He said he doesn't do time change. Um, no, we convened an emergency board meeting. They voted. He's got to be here an hour early for the rest of the month. So good job, people. Good job. Uh, a, little, a bit of a confession uh, as we get started here. I'm, I'm a bit of a nerd. Uh, most of you are like, yeah, duh, we know that. Um, I have a tendency to, have you ever geeked out about something? You know what that is? When you know entirely more about a specific subject than you should, and you find someone who shares that knowledge, and you're like, let's just talk. I love this. Um, True story, true story. Like five minutes ago, I had to recognize that it was my time to come in here because I was talking to a guy about ballistic coefficient. Um, I still do it. I still do it, right? We, a lot of us do it. You may do it about cars or sports or different things like that, but we, you know what I mean when you geek out. The first time I remember doing it is when I was a kid, elementary school, maybe uh, second or third grade, and, and I'm s- sitting here in the hallway, and you know, Indian style, we're getting ready to go to the next class or something, and this kid beside me looks over and he says, did you know that Ankylosaurus was the only dinosaur that Tyrannosaurus Rex could not defeat in battle? And I'm like, <laughs> dinosaurs, yes. And he, he became my geek out buddy about dinosaurs, you know. And, and I've grown now to where, like I said, I do it about different things. Uh, now, uh, sometimes with my kids, you know, we'll have geek out sessions. I'll, I'll walk in and Ben will be there and I, I'll be like, <clears throat> Did you know that the Darksaber was actually made by the only Mandalorian to be a Jedi Knight? And he's like, (laughs) Star Wars. Uh, Parenting tip, if you want to connect with your children, become an expert in whatever it is they geek out over. Okay? I know far more right now about Star Wars canon and South Korean pop bands than I ever thought would be necessary for adulthood. I'm having issues here. If you'll give me... Just a moment, the medium-sized microphone in my large side head does not always coincide. So anyway, a few weeks ago, uh, Pastor Mike and I are in his office um, getting ready, putting this next series together, you know, and he's like, okay, I'm going to be out of town on this Sunday, so that means blah, 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 you get Galatians 2, and I'm (laughs) I'm like, (laughs) Galatians 2? Galatians 2 has Galatians 2.20 in it, All right. That's my jam. I'm like, yeah, let's go. Let's go because Galatians 2 is all about this profound truth about the gospel of Christ. And it culminates into this climax of Galatians 2.20 where Paul just, bam, lays it out. Okay, Um, This passage unpacks this unreal freedom. It it spots light the gospel. And and in 2.20, we find this gospel message of this, that, that you and I have fallen short. Okay, that we've worshiped things that aren't God, that we have belittled and mocked God with either our lives, our mouths, or minds. And God's response to that has been to make a way for us to be reconciled to Him in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So then we have a twofold movement that occurs is we get Christ's righteousness and he takes upon himself our rebellion and our sinfulness. So when God then looks at us, he sees Christ, deems us as perfect and spotless and blameless, and that is Galatians 2, and that's 2.20. And I'm like, yes, I got this. I get to geek out a little bit. All right, 2.20, yeah. You wanna know what it is? If you've already Googled it, I'm just curious. Anybody? Somebody in the first service already had their phone out, and they had already Googled it several times. E and I apologize. I'm having issues this morning. Um, we'll, we'll get to it. We'll, we'll get to it. We just can't get to it right now because I've got to lay a little foundation work before we get into that. Okay? We always, I love always going back to the beginning. Okay? Because everything about us as humans, all of our faults, all of our problems, originates in Genesis. Okay? It all is traced back to Genesis. Am I good, or if I messed it up completely? Okay, I'm good. Uh, in the beginning, in the beginning, you can't talk about humans without talking about rules, right? We are inexplicably attached to rules and trying to make more rules and trying to follow all of those rules that we make. Okay, in the in the Garden of Eden, God creates man. He creates Adam and Eve, and and basically, as soon as he's done introducing himself, he gives them a rule. Okay, one rule. All you got to do, guys, is this: just don't eat from this tree. Okay, we're good. I'm going to leave you guys for a little bit. I'm going to go do my thing. I'll come back and check on you after a while. And they're like, okay, yeah, see you. And God's gone. And Eve's like, hey, Adam, you want to go break the rule with me? And I was like, let's do this, baby. They break the rule. So Moses, Moses leads the people out of bondage, out of Egypt. They're free for the first time in their lives. And he gets them far enough away to be safe. And they set up camp and he goes up on mount Sinai and he talks to God and God gives him rules for the people and he comes down and the first thing he says you know you know here's the rules don't worship any other gods and the israelites are like somebody help me hide this gold calf we just made to worship you know that's humans that's who we are we're rule breakers okay as much as we love rules we break the rules because you see as humans our natural desire is not to follow the rules okay our natural desire is to avoid consequences. Am I right? That's why we like understanding the rules. We like knowing the rules because following the rules gives us a sense of peace, of safety. It gives us a, a plausible deniability, a sense of innocence. We like understanding the rules so that if we encounter an authority, we don't get called out for doing something wrong. Okay, we want to know that if the speed limit is 25, is, is 55 How fast can I go before they have to bust me? Okay, can I do 64? I've heard I can do 64, okay? Because it's not that we have pure hearts and pure motives. We just don't want to get busted. So we learn the rules then to keep us safe, to keep us safe from the authorities in our lives, and in religion, we make up the rules to keep us safe from God and his consequences for us, right? And that's what we're talking about in the book of Galatians. We've been using these equations over the last couple of weeks to to help kind of paint this picture of what religion looks like versus the gospel in the book of Galatians, what it looks like. So the first equation that we have is this is what religion creates. This is the lifestyle that religion creates. Number one, religion plus works equals Christianity. So everything that you do that makes you a Christian come to church, all, all that kind of stuff, all of your works that you do, that creates your Christianity. And from that, good behavior plus time equals forgiveness or equals justification. It's what makes you right with God. If I am good enough for long enough, I am justified before God, okay? And then finally, rules plus performance equals faith walk, to keep up that lifestyle, to keep up the doing good, to constantly add to your resume of good. That is your faith walk, okay? And we said, this is what religion has created that is hurting us, that is apart from God. And this is what Paul begins to argue against in Galatians. What he's arguing for is this second set of equations? Paul argues that Christ plus authentic faith is Christianity. Okay, If you want to add anything, confession plus grace equals forgiveness. That's your justification. Surrender plus freedom, then, equals your faith walk. Okay, And that's the gospel message. That's the gospel message in Galatians. And now there's basically two arguments that we see against that message that come out in the book of Galatians. Okay, argument number one is that, well, the law is holy and the law is divine because it comes from God, so you can't get rid of it. Okay, if God gave us the law, you can't get rid of it. You don't have that right to do that. And then the second law is basically, if you teach this grace, then you're just going to give people a license to sin. Okay, and Paul begins to look at that. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and flip over Galatians 2. Uh, we're going to start in verse 14. And and then we'll build up to to verse 20, the the big one, the t-shirt verse, the coffee cup verse, the the one that you can make a meme of and put on Facebook, whatever you want to do with those things. Uh, So first argument, first argument is number one, the law is holy, the law is good, the law is divine, it comes from God, so you can't simply do away with it. So let's read beginning chapter 2, verse 14. Okay, chapter 2, verse 14. Uh, so Paul then is, is talking to the people. He's had an encounter with some of the leaders, the church leaders from Jerusalem. Okay, he's had an, this encounter where the church leaders from Jerusalem is, are going to the Gentiles. And we know Gentile just simply means everyone who's not a Jew. If you weren't a Jew, you were a Gentile. Okay, so they've gone out and they've converted these people to Christianity. And he's had a conflict with these church leaders who have come here. So he says, verse 14, When I saw that they, the church leaders, were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile because of your freedom, because of your freedom in Christ. You don't have to observe all the Jewish customs. You live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Because they were coming in saying that the Gentiles had to do things to set them apart, to make them like The Jews, they were adding to the faith. They were adding legalism there. And Paul is calling them out on that. Verse 15, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles, a little sarcasm there, know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified, there's that word again, by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, justified by faith, not by works. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Okay, so this argument number one that we look at, okay, the argument number one is you can't just do away with the rules, you can't just do away with the law, that comes from God. Okay, you've got to follow those, you've got to do all of those. So Paul gets into it and says, wait a second, okay, the law is holy, And the law is divine in that it's able to show us where we're sick and where we need help, but it cannot provide the help that ultimately Christ alone brings. Okay, The law cannot justify us before God. The law is divine as long as it fulfills its purpose of being a diagnostic and not the cure. Okay, the law does not fix anything. The law shows us what needs to be fixed. Now, now I want to stop here and just spend a little bit of time because this is, this is a profound statement that Paul is making and it's going to be more profound to some of us. He's basically saying when he's talking about Jews and Gentiles, he's saying it that the Jews had a moral advantage over the Gentiles, right? That the Jews had the law. The Gentiles didn't have the law. The Jews had the law. The Jews had the prophets. The Gentiles didn't have the prophets. The Jews had the covenant. They had the promises. They had the sign. The Gentiles didn't have any of that. If there was ever a moral advantage, it belonged to the Jews. But did you see Paul's response to that? Who cares? The law justifies no man. So because they had the law from the beginning, it made no difference. Okay, now let's relate that for a moment to us and apply that same logic to us in our lives. Okay? Uh, just chat frankly here for a minute. How, how was your home growing up? Okay, what, what, was, your, what was your faith experience? Uh, did you have parents that, that nurtured you and that prayed over you and that brought you to church and that, that pushed you to, to Christ? Or was it kind of the opposite? Were you raised in just a, a really bad environment uh, with uh, abuse or neglect? or indifference or any of that. You know, we have people here from, from all different backgrounds, backgrounds, and we have parents here um, f- who have all different styles of parenting. But here's kind of Paul's point. When it comes to justification, when it comes, of, when it comes to being made right with God, uh, your right standing with God, okay, any merit that you received from your childhood or that you've made an effort to do over your lifetime, it, it makes no difference. He's saying, in essence, that if, if your daddy was a deacon, okay, and, and your mama just gave birth to you on a Sunday morning, just, just bam, right there on the altar, okay, and, and you grew up, and you grew up following all of those rules, right? You grew up, and, and you've, never, you've never smoked, you've never drank, you've never done drugs, Um, you've, you've got all of the medals at home, all of the ribbons at home from Sunday school. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you grew up in the church where you would get a medal or a trophy or a ribbon or something for, for memory verses. Um, you get a trophy for, for Sunday school attendance. You get a trophy for bringing a friend. I mean, some of you got trophy cases at home that look like Michael Phelps. Um, what he's saying is that that does not mean anything. Okay when it comes to your morality. You are no different. If you're in that situation, you're no different than, than the man who, who has grown up who, who didn't even know his father, okay, whose mother gave birth to him at three in the morning on a bar and just knocked over a bottle of Jack, um, who has grown up in every deplorable way imaginable, has just experienced promiscuity, who has cusses like a sailor, who has, who has made all the bad choices, who is, what Paul is saying is that it makes no difference when it comes to justification, when it comes to being right with God. Now, now there are advantages to morality, right? We're not saying there are no advantages to that, okay? As a parent, it's good for you to bring your children to church. It's good for you to impress these values on your children. It's good for all of that. It's, we say it's basically it's like putting putting the kindling around your children and, and just hoping that, that the spirit ignites that, okay? But what's Paul saying is when it comes to salvation, when it comes to, to justification, um, it makes no difference, it makes no difference. And, and the Bible goes further to say that, that your moral actions, if you offer that to God as justification, okay? The Bible says that that's like filthy rags before God. And and the original translation, the implication of that is actually much more disgusting. Okay, but it's it's filthy rags. It's nothing to God. Okay, my kids aren't justified just because they were born in my home. You're not justified just because you've grown up. Your morality does not justify you. There is one who justifies you. The the law never will. Okay, so so that's Paul's point in that first argument. Is look, we're not doing away with the law. We're not doing away with the rules. We're just saying that they're no good for us when it comes to salvation. Christ is the only one who offers justification. Christ is the only hope that we have. All right, moving on to argument number two. Argument number two, then, is that if you teach this gospel, uh, the gospel in Galatians, then people are just going to have a license to sin. Okay, look at Galatians 2, verse 17. Verse 17 says, But if, in seeking to be justified in Christ we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. Um, argument number two, if you preach the gospel um, and if you just let the Bible be what the Bible is, then people are gonna use that as, as just an excuse to sin willy-nilly. Okay, we've got to have these rules in place because if you don't, if you teach people grace, then they're going to say, I can do whatever I want and God will forgive me. Okay. Then I'm going to do whatever I want and then God will forgive me. Okay. No, no. Paul's saying that's not the way it works. He's saying, if you have authentic faith, then you're not going to be able to be comfortable in that sin. Okay. If you have authentic faith, your desire is not going to be to sin and get away with it. You will be remorseful when you do that. If you're truly regenerate, if you're truly seeking to honor God with your life and seeking to be a Christ follower, there's no way you can be comfortable in that sin. Okay, we don't have the rules to be able to slap you on the back of the hand with a ruler. You won't need that. You're going to have that inner drive to try and stay away from that stuff. That's kind of Paul's point. Okay, so now he's, he's just looked at those two arguments and he said, look, those... I hear what you're saying, but it's not really valid when it comes to authentic faith. So, so he's setting up then the next verse to build to that crescendo of 2.20. So Galatians 2.19 says, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. Okay, through the law, I died to the law. All right, now that's a little bit confusing, but I think I can simplify it real simple, uh, real easily. When I was a kid, when I was a kid, I didn't have that gene, whatever that gene is in you that that says, don't do this because you may die doing this. All right, I, I didn't have that. I did stupid stuff a lot. And as a result, my mother, bless her heart, had to create these rules that no mother in the history of time has had to create or should have to create. Okay, so she made rules to govern my life to protect me from myself. Okay, Jonathan, okay, new rule, no jumping off the house with a loaded gun. Okay, just, (laughs) what is that? Who has to make up that rule for the kid? Or another one was, okay, new rule, Jonathan, don't throw hammers at your sister, okay? Nobody nobody should have to do that. At least I thought, I thought that until I had kids. And then I'm like, okay, son, new rule. At Chick-fil-A, we keep all of our clothes on. Okay? (laughs) True story. Um, at, at my home now, uh, we, we have rules. A, a lot of you do this. You, you have your family rules that you write on a board or something like that. Um, we have several rules. Uh, number one rule, honor God. Of course, that's a given like, yeah, you're a minister. You got to do that. Um, rule number two is have fun. Our, in our home, a rule is have fun. Okay. You will face consequences in my home if you're not having fun. We enjoy being loud. We enjoy having fun. We want you to enjoy life. That's rule number three, enjoy life. Okay, we actually have that written on the wall. Okay, there's another rule we have in our home that I think all homes have, and that's the rule of be safe. Okay, do we all have that rule? Does anyone not have the be safe rule at home? Okay, I didn't think so. We all have that rule of be safe, and that means have fun, But be safe. Okay, which one takes priority over the other? Be safe takes priority over have fun. Okay, you're in the treehouse having fun. Awesome. Rule number two, accomplished. You're you're throwing bricks at other kids, and that's why you're having fun? No. No. Be safe. Also another true story. Um, So the be safe has trumped the have fun. And that's all Paul's saying. He's like, the law of faith in Christ has set me free from the law of the Mosaic rules. Okay? He, Christ, trumps your rules. The freedom I have in Christ trumps the bondage you have in the rules. And he says all of that, and he just builds up to this just crescendo here in Galatians 2.20. And he just explodes here in Galatians 2.20. And he says... This verse on the screen, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And that is a verse that is powerful. That's a verse that you put in your carry on bag so that you've got it with you all the time. Okay? Did I say anything about the bag analogy yet today? I've used it often before, so I can't really remember if I've already said that or not. The suitcase analogy that Pastor Mike used a couple of weeks ago, we have that analogy that we use because it's, it's really good. For me, whenever I travel, I have a check bag and I have a carry-on bag. Those of you who travel, especially internationally, you know what I'm talking about. Your check bag that goes under the plane, you're putting that there in good faith that you're going to see it again. you may not see it again until a couple of weeks after you've gotten home. Okay, that's happened to me several times. I pack a check bag, put it under the plane, and then I don't see it again until somebody delivers it to my house three weeks later. That's happened to me. So I've learned that whatever I need to survive needs to go in my carry-on bag that I take with me at all times. Right? So when it comes to faith, when you look at the faith analogy of that, um, my, my views on music, my views on entertainment, my views on alcohol, my views on, on parents, all those views go in my check bag. They're under the plane okay? so that if I get somewhere, I may not need those. Okay? I don't have to have those to have faith. Galatians 2.20 is in my carry-on. John 3.16 is in my carry-on. Romans 8.23, 3.23 is in my carry-on. These are verses that are essential to my faith. But I've got to be honest with you. For the last 20 years, I've had kind of a difficult time understanding what this verse means. I mean, this is one where you go to a conference, and the preacher gets up, I've been crucified with Christ. And everybody cheers. Yeah. Don't have a clue what he's talking about. But it looks good on a coffee cup. All right. So I've gotten to the point of understanding that this verse really comes down to self and to selfishness because everything that is wrong with humanity everything that is wrong with humanity with human beings can be tied to selfishness to self-worship to self-idolatry and this verse is talking all about reprioritizing your life in such a way that you are not on the altar of your life. Look, the most seductive idol you will ever encounter in your life is, the, is what you see in the mirror when you get up every morning. And you know that's true. You know you will do stuff for you and rationalize stuff for you that you would never do for anyone else. When the Bible says, when the 10 commandments start off with worship, no other gods, right? You're number one on that list. You are. And we know that intuitively. So when we talk about, I've been crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. That's talking about reprioritizing our life, rearranging things, putting things in a different order. And I want to explain it, explain it like this. We, we live life in kind of parentheses. There's these little parenthetical statements that that are attached to us that describe us, okay? I am John Cook, but that doesn't describe me. If I wanted to describe myself fully, I would add these statements to it. I would add these little parenthetical statements to it. I would say this. I would say, I'm John Cook. I'm a husband, okay? I'm married to Jill. I am father, Okay, we've got three kids. That's important to me. I am a minister. I work here at Grace Community Church. I'm a tinkerer. I love building things and making things. That's a part of what fulfills me, makes me who I am. Um, I'm funny. I know this because my kids tell me all the time, oh, dad, you're hilarious. (laughs) There's a difference between a dad joke and a bad joke. A dad joke is meant to make your children uncomfortable. You know, you've got to be good to make a good-bad joke. Um, I'm a former Marine that says a lot about me and my personality. I'm a Christ follower that, that guides my life, okay? These are the parenthetical statements we have about ourselves that make us us. In this verse, I've been crucified to Christ. It's no longer on I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's talking about reprioritizing this. So to illustrate this, I'm going to take one of these. I'm going to take the first one, John Cook, husband. What does that mean? That means John Cook is married and I'm looking for that relationship to help me find fulfillment in my life. And when we talk about reprioritizing this life, what we're saying that will, I'll get to that in just a second. Let me tell you something about my wife. I I love my wife very much. She was in the first service. She reminded me to say something. She does a lot of things for me out of the kindness of her heart and I appreciate that. She's a sweet, wonderful woman. Now... (laughs) she likes having the bed made. Okay. A lot of people like having the bed made, right? I was like I said, a former Marine. I, I know what it means to have the bed made. We had to do that every morning, but not like I did. Okay. She likes having a bed presented to her when she gets home from work. She, she likes this fluffy, um, work of art. Okay. So, so she leaves early in the morning because she's a teacher. And I take the kids to school. Okay, the mornings are kind of my time with the kids. She gets home in the afternoon, she picks them up from school. The afternoons are kind of her times. So because she leaves out the door before uh, we're up, you know, we're all ready, um, I decided, you know what, my wife likes making the bed, um, likes a bed being made. I am her husband. Um, one of the things on my checklist is being a good husband, is to do things for my wife that she enjoys. Okay, so check, I'm gonna make the bed for her. I don't care. A bed is utilitarian. It's good for two things, for sleeping and for putting your laundry when you get it out of the dryer. But she likes having the bed made. So I get up in the morning, and after I, I find a moment in the, in the day where, you know, I take off the sleeping pillows, and I put on the looking pillows, because <laughs> that's the only purpose they serve is to look at. And I take off the sleeping covers, and I put on the looking covers, and it gets all nice and pretty and made, and she comes home and she's like, "Oh yay, the bed's made, yay!" All right, um, but but that's not yet reprioritizing my life. Okay, that's that's checking something off of a list. If I want to do this, if I want to reprioritize my life, do you see how immediately the dynamic of that relationship changes? Immediately. Number one, husband is fulfilling John Cook. Number two, John Cook is fulfilling the role. Of husband. Now, why is that important? Let me tell you a a little factoid about my wife. Um, She loves having the bed made. That makes her happy. It makes her feel special. For some reason, she doesn't like unmaking the bed. Unmaking. At night, you've got to do reverse of everything that you did in the morning, okay? So, I find myself, uh, gosh, it's been a while back, It's in the evening, we're getting ready for bed and I'm sitting here and I'm taking off these pillows and I'm putting on the sleep and I I stop myself. And I'm like, what am I I doing? (laughs) I'm unmaking what I made. It's pointless to me, but I find myself doing this as just a simple response because for whatever reason, my wife gets annoyed unmaking the bed. So I do that for her because I want to fulfill my role as, as husband, because a husband is one who cares for and who nurtures and who tries in every way uh, to, to just pour into, into that woman to make sure she knows, she recognizes the importance and value in my life. And I find myself uh, doing that without even realizing it. Okay, the guy on the left needs a checklist, right? If I'm going to be a good husband, i got to make sure I do this, and i got to make sure I do this, and i got to make sure I do this, and this. The guy on the right, does he need a checklist from anyone? No. No, he's making the checklist, okay? And full disclosure, it works out pretty good for me, all right? Because I get a wife who's all googly-eyed over me, and she's like, Oh, John, you're so awesome. I don't deserve you. <laughs> I feel like I nailed that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But then she reciprocates, of course. She, she does things for me as well. Um, and this changes a person. This changes you. And ultimately, that's, goal. that's the goal when it comes to our faith. Our faith, we want it to look like this. John Cook, parentheses, Christ follower. I'm checking the rules off the list. I'm checking the things off the list. Christ follower, who happens to be in the form of John Cook, what is he doing? He's pursuing how to fulfill that role. One role fulfills him, the other role he fulfills. It's the reverse. It's taking myself, myself down off of that altar of selfish worship, which we do in our life, and replacing it with Christ. Dying to self, becoming alive in Christ. And that's what Paul is saying through all of this second chapter of Galatians. Look, When you die to yourself, when you become alive in Christ, you don't need the rules because you're going to be working as hard as you can to make up everything that you're going to need. Because all of us are different. Just like the things that I do for my wife wouldn't work for all of your wives, men. Right? The things about my faith that are important to me and important to God aren't going to work for all of you. Now, Of course, this is in the context of an example, an illustration. Certainly, there are things that help us in our faith walk. Certainly, there are things that we do in the beginning that we need help with. But what Paul is ultimately saying is, look, I've died to one law to be made free in another law. I died from having to be controlled by the rule book because I'm alive and simply pursuing Christ. Now, if you're here today, because um, I, I saw some of you, some of you were, were sitting there and I say Galatians 2.20 and you're like, <laughs> yeah, 2.20, let's do this. All right? You've got that memorized anyway. You're, you're on it. That's why you come here because you love that part of, of this church and the grace and the freedom that you find here. But uh, if you're not that person, there's basically just a couple of categories that you're in. Either you're over here and you're like, you know what? Don't take away my rules. I have spent my lifetime perfecting following the rules. I take great pride in that. And one day, God is going to appreciate that about me. Don't take that away from me. I'm happy here with my rules. All right, and then on the other side, you've got the person who doesn't even care to be here today. And if you're that person, what, I'm glad, I hope you've been entertained a little bit. But you're over here and you're like, I don't even need this faith Okay, I'm good with myself. The reason I worship myself is because I'm pretty awesome. Okay, I'm happy, happy here. Okay, so if you're either on, on either of those sides, there's nothing that I can say and there's nothing Pastor Mike can say on a Sunday morning that's gonna affect that, that's gonna take God uh, doing something. But the, the rest of us who are right here in the middle and you're either in that place of, you know what, I've tried before, but I've kind of given up because I just, I, I can't, I can't seem to get it right. Every time I try, I realize I, I just can't do it. Either you're there or, or you're that person who, who you're still actively trying, but you're just terrified that you're going to be found out as being a fraud. You're terrified that, that you're trying, but it may not all be real in the first place. You know, you, you want to feel like you're a Christian and you want to feel like, but you're not 100% certain and you're just scared. You're, you're biding your time until one day somebody catches you and you're busted and you're found out. So, so for those of us right there in the middle, Galatians 2 is this invitation to simply step back for a moment, okay? Quit Focusing on behavior. Quit trying to be good enough. You can't be good enough. And that's okay. The Jews weren't good enough. Paul himself wasn't good enough. He said, I have to die daily to myself. Quit trying so hard. And just pack in your carry-on that little simplistic living for Christ, not living for me. You believe it. You you know you do. It's just grab your carry-on, go find yourself a deserted island, lose your check bag, and just be a Christ follower. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for the simplicity of the gospel that God, Christ crucified is sufficient. God, that is so, so difficult for us to understand because we're human. God, we're just pre-wired to want rules and to to want to follow the rules. So God, help us with that. Help us to recognize what it means to truly reprioritize our life so that we're just simply looking to you. We're just trying to fulfill our role as Christ follower. God, give us the freedom that comes with that. We ask these things in Christ's name, amen. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll see you next time.